EA Respawn and Reset Era? A primer on intellectual property assignment. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about a topic that popped up in my timeline, primarily out of, of all things, a Reset Era thread. And if you want to comment on my pronunciations of Reset Era or Primer or anything else in the title of this video or otherwise, please feel free to leave a comment in the description of this video. We can chat about those pronunciations. But for right now, the thread itself was actually right in my wheelhouse. It discussed contract terms that I go over really almost every day of my career at this point. And so I wanted to talk to you about them a little bit because I think it's an interesting kind of sidebar conversation about how intellectual property is protected. And if you're an employee in a tech field, absolutely, but in any field or business that actually has something to do with intellectual property that isn't just about making a product or something along those lines, but is in fact about developing concepts of this kind of ephemeral nature, intellectual property, IP, branding, whatever it might be, you probably have as part of your employment package entered into an assignment document of some kind. And we're going to talk about those. I've got a sample, a redacted sample of what I use uh, for a lot of my clients in various different forms to talk about these provisions because I think it's an interesting conversation. But here's why this was covered on Reset Era. It said EA, Electronic Arts, and other studios apparently have policies that require developers to gather permission before producing any creative works outside of work. And this is from a user on Reset Era called Hobbs says, this just came across my feed, found it odd and interesting. The policy, most likely written in an employment contract, says you have to ask for permission before producing any creative works outside of the studio, because if I'm reading this right, they might own those works created outside of your eight hours. Uh, that's expletive nuts. And so the actual thread here from tweets is, uh, it was in response to a kind of call for action on Twitter, uh, where they just ha have you respond to something that's a general inquiry. It says, please quote this tweet with a thing that everyone in your field knows and nobody in your industry talks about because it would lead to general chaos. And the response here was, working full-time for a major studio in games usually means signing away your rights to any creative output you might produce outside of work hours. Even if you get a company willing to let you release your own stories or music or whatever, you have to ask their permission. And then this continued on and from another user said, when EA acquired Respawn, John Shearing, who's a programmer, came home and told me this. He's not allowed to do anything without EA's permission, including write a book or make music. Again, he was hired as a programmer. It's unethical. The games industry needs a union. And here's the thing about this nonsense policy in another tweet, which was in place when I worked for EA it kills inspiration. It's hard to muster the effort to do anything creative outside work when you know your corporate masters own it all. And that makes you a worse employee and a lesser human. And then you have a lot of responses here. And I think they're incredibly interesting. You have things that say that's incredibly standard in tech. This is a common practice in a lot of industries from pharmaceuticals to tech, standard beyond tech, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people come out immediately and say, that's perfectly normal. And as a matter of fact, the reason this came to my attention at all, because believe it or not, I'm not trolling around reset era all the time. Uh, but I do follow Mike Futter on Twitter, who has worked with me in the course of a couple of articles that he did for Game Daily Biz and Variety and other places, uh, and has asked me legal questions and we've discussed them. And he also wrote a book called The Game Development uh, Business Book. And he said, um, yes, they are called assignment clauses and they are normal in every industry read my book. So kind of siding with the initial responses from Reset Air, and I totally understand that 
because the overall thrust of what Mike is saying here is correct. If you are dealing with an intellectual property-based business of any kind, but since we're talking about software, particularly in technology and software fields, you will have as a component, either in a separate agreement or otherwise, an assignment of intellectual property and inventions or innovations or some other defined term that means something that you created, that you came up with, will belong to the company. That being said, there are different versions of how this thing can work. If you have followed virtual legality all the way until now, until episode 144 or what have you, you know a lot of the devil is in the details here when we talk about legal documents. So one of the things that I said to Mike, and you can check out this thread, there's actually a lot of interesting people, a lot of lawyers that come on and talk to him about it and what it means. One of the things I said was I said, hey, IP assignment contracts or PIIA for proprietary information, that's actually proprietary information and inventions assignment agreement, come in many flavors. But in a number of industries, they are tied specifically to the business of the company in question so that you can write the great American novel while also building the company's app. PIIAs, of course, can be written to apply to everything you might scribble on a cocktail napkin while you're under contract with the company, regardless of whether it's on company hours or what have you. But that is a more unusual framing. So what I wanted to talk about with you on virtual legality just a little bit is that these complaints that you see in that thread about in particular how electronic arts treats intellectual property is interesting. It is not mandatory that an assignment looks like that. And I wanted to bring up a version of this that I had done for a client before. And I will tell you as a lawyer, different clients want different things out of their contract. So if I'm representing a company, my job is to talk to them about what they are trying to do, what they are trying to protect, figure out how to write that, so that they are getting that protection that they want and also talk to them about some of the downside risks and things of that nature. So as the gentleman pointed out in the tweets in respect of EA on the reset era thread, there is a possibility for if you just say anything that you ever make anywhere is owned by us, that you do kill some of that creative spark. That somebody that is, you know, like Doc Brown on the toilet and comes up with the flux capacitor doesn't accidentally want that owned by Electronic Arts. So they don't even go to the bother of making the sketches and inventing whatever it is that they're trying to invent. You do have to be thinking about these things. And a good lawyer, honestly, will have those conversations with clients and say, hey, look, this might have this negative ramification. And I'm not saying the electronic arts lawyers aren't good lawyers. I'm sure they're fantastic lawyers. And eventually you have that conversation. And regardless of whether or not you believe something is a good move or not, the client and whether that's in-house counsel or outside counsel, is going to tell you what they want to do with that thing. And evidently, Electronic Arts position is, hey, we want to make sure it covers each and everything that somebody might come up with while they are under contract with Electronic Arts. But it doesn't have to be that way. So what I've reproduced here is the first couple of pages of a proprietary information inventions assignment, non-solicitation and non-competition agreement, which is a document that was to be entered into primarily by high-level employees of this client that I had. And it was designed to cover what their responsibilities were going to be. This is separate from what would be the offer letter, which would actually give you your title, your salary, potential equity share of the company, benefits, those kinds of things. This would also say, hey, as a condition of your employment, you're going to sign onto this document. And it says a couple of things. It says things you might be expecting, uh, like your duties. You're going to devote your best efforts to the company. You're not going to engage in any uh, other conduct 
that could be in direct conflict with the company's interests. You're not going to work for a competitor at the same time. You're going to abide by our policies and procedures, et cetera, et cetera. When we give you a key card, you're not going to share it with your buddy. Uh, those kinds of things, right? Those are your duties. But what this is primarily designed around, and we're not going to cover the second half of this. We're not going to talk about non-solicitation and non-competition in this context, but those are valuable things to talk about in a different context. What this primarily is, is trying to establish the bright lines of what your information, what your intellectual property is compared to the company's intellectual property. And if this is done right as a document, this is actually pretty useful both to the company so that it knows what intellectual property it holds. And so it could tell a potential acquirer or a potential funding source that it knows that it owns that intellectual property it needs to run its business. But it's also useful to the actual employee or contractor or service provider or whatever role they might find themselves in with the company because bright lines are useful. Again, if you're familiar with virtual legality, if you follow the series at all, you know ambiguity is a problem, especially when you're dealing with another party that has a bigger chip stack than you. When you've got ambiguity and you're up against somebody like an electronic arts or some other giant corporation, that's bad for you because anything that needs to go through a litigation process to kind of determine its meaning is going to be much more costly to the individual than it is to the company. It's going to be the same cost, but the company can afford it better. So ultimately you want bright lines and companies, believe it or not, they're not all the devil generally want you to have bright lines because that's useful for happy employees as well. I know I can do X and I can't do Y. And I know I own this and I don't own that. And that's helpful. So let's take a look at these definitions in this document because this is a different approach than what we saw described in Electronic Arts. So first we define proprietary information. And this is going to be the special stuff that all this documentation is going to apply to. And it's any information that is confidential or proprietary. Not really necessarily terribly useful as part of a definition, but it means secret stuff. Technical or non-technical information, whether having existed, now existing, or to be developed by me, and me in that sentence is the employee, or others during my employment, including, for example, and without limitation, information that is a company innovation, and we'll get to that definition in just a second, or anything related to those innovations, including concepts, techniques, processes, methods, sketches, cocktail napkins, and things like that, but all focused on things that are proprietary information of the company or related to company innovations. So this is a kind of waterfall definition, but notice the focus on things that are related specifically to how the company operates, because that's going to be important as we use it here. The other kind of bucket of things that fall under proprietary information is information that is given to the company that it itself has agreed to keep confidential. So when you work for a company, let's say you work for Electronic Arts and Electronic Arts has a deal with Disney, right? Or with Lucasfilm, however that contract winds up looking to do Star Wars things. Lucasfilm is going to share with Electronic Arts certain aspects of the rise of Skywalker so that DICE and their teams can start to get things moving so that they are prepared to be implemented into Battlefront 2 earlier than having to only see the movie and then implement them. And as part of that, it might not be confidential information of the electronic arts because it's not their IP to own or to protect. It is that confidential information of Disney's. And so as an employee, you say, yeah, obviously I can't do anything with Disney's Star Wars information. And if I do, I'll be in trouble. Obviously, all of that makes sense so far. And again, it's tied specifically to what the company is trying to do. Innovations themselves 
are basically things like inventions, what we might consider inventions in kind of a broad scope. Discoveries, designs, developments, improvements, inventions, works of authorship, information fixed in any tangible medium of expression. You got to love lawyer phrases, right? Trade secrets, know-how, ideas, et cetera, et cetera. Intellectual property that would broadly fall under the category of what we might think of colloquially as inventions. And then you get into kind of the obligations here. I have listed on Exhibit A, and I'm the employee when I say this, attached here to all innovations relating in any way to the company's business, again, tied to what the company does, or demonstrably anticipated research and development or business. So what it does right now and what it can show it was thinking about doing. I have made a list of all the things that are mine that were conceived, reduced to practice, created, derived, or made by me alone or jointly with others, and which I retain any ownership rights or interest to. So I'm going to come when I sign this contract with Electronic Arts or with whomever, I'm going to have certain stuff that I developed and that is mine. And so I'm going to put it on a list because what I'm also going to agree to is I'm going to say, hey, if I wind up incorporating something that I own into something that I make for you under contract with you, then I'm going to grant you a license. I've kind of shortened this here so you can skip some of the legalese, but it says, I hereby grant to company and company's designees a license to any prior innovations that I incorporate in any innovations that I, either alone or with others, create, derive, conceive, develop, make, or reduce to practice within the scope of my employment with company. And that defined term is company innovations. That, that defined term company innovations is what we saw proprietary information is aimed at information that is a company innovation or that is related to any company innovation. And here we see that that means specifically things that you make within the scope of your employment. Now, when I get on a thread with Mike Futter or when I discuss these things on Reset Era or in virtual legality, these are the kinds of small language changes that I'm highlighting as to how you can draft one of these. So evidently, when we're talking about electronic arts and they're PIIA or whatever they might call it won't look anything like this. It'll have similar concepts, but it'll look completely different in terms of language. What they have gotten rid of is this concept that I've highlighted in green that says within the scope of my employment. So if you imagine that this phrase didn't include that and said that, hey, any company innovation is anything that I develop either by myself or with others or reduced to practice just while employed with the company. You change that to while employed so that instead of within the scope of my employment, what I am actually hired and paid to do for Electronic Arts, it is instead whatever I make while I'm under contract, while that contract is still live, then this obviously broadens out substantially. And it's such a small language change. This is why people hire lawyers. This is why one of the things I say is, if you don't hire me, that's fine. But if you're going to sign your name to something that has these real specific obligations, and even if it's non-negotiable, at least go get somebody who reads these for a living to take a look at it for you so that they can tell you something like this. Because if that green bit of language is different, it could have those broad scope ramifications for somebody like Electronic Arts. Because if it's just a timer and it isn't attached to what you're doing for them, then yes, it arguably attaches to things like the great American novel that you are writing in your free time on your own laptop. Now, I will tell you 
different jurisdictions, including California, will have very specific rules in their laws that say, hey, you can't necessarily attach an assignment like this, especially in an employment context, to somebody making something that in no way relates to the business and doesn't use company resources. I think you can see other episodes of Virtual Legality where I've talked about that a little bit. But even with that, hey, if you're going to go fight about a, a statutory application of a state law, that's going to wind up in litigation. That's going to be a high cost kind of maneuver. So the electronic arts of the world, the big corporations of the world know that even if a provision was potentially unenforceable in a given jurisdiction, it still has some usefulness. So that's not necessarily the way I would write a PIIA if it were up to me, but I have had clients that want that kind of scope. I have written that document in that fashion. And so when somebody like Mike Futter says, yes, assignments are in every kind of intellectual property-based industry, that's 100% true, but there are nuances to exactly what it is that you are assigning and what you are asked to assign. Now to Electronic Arts' credit, they do appear in their contract as kind of described in that reset era thread to have the concept of going and asking for permission. So you can imagine that this bit of language might say, yeah, it's everything that you make while on a timer, but you, if you ask us permission, you can make that novel, you can make that separate app, whatever it is that you might otherwise do. And you can also frame that from a legal document standpoint as something that almost always happens, that you almost always get that consent. You might have seen it in previous documents that I've discussed here in virtual legality. But one of the things that you can say is, if you have to go get consent from another party, you can add the proviso that says, which will not be unreasonably withheld. And if you put that in there, that becomes a a sticking point for the other party. It says, hey, you have to have a good reason to not give me this consent. And very often, that's not going to be something that they can do easily. Again, like all other contract provisions, you might have to sue them for it, and that's its own problem. But at the end of the day, if you are dealing with someone that you have a modicum of trust for, that you know what their history of dealing with these contract terms is, you can have a provision like that in there and say, well, I guess I'm at least a little bit protected because if I'm writing a spy novel while also programming their internal server infrastructure, they're probably going to let me write that spy novel. And I go and I get a written email or a letter or something from whoever it is that I have to ask for it from uh, at EA. The only other thing I wanted to add here is just the way this all works together is that you have to disclose what it is that you innovate, that you invent at the company to tell them what it is that they have the rights to. So it says, hey, I will disclose when there's a company innovation, and then I hereby do and will irrevocably assign to company or whoever it tells me to all of my right title and interest in and to those innovations, which is the primary obligation that we're talking about here, right? If something is a company innovation, and again, it has to be something for purposes of this document that I'm reading to you within the scope of your employment, so not something completely separate from what you were hired to do. If it is a company innovation, you will tell us about it, and then that will become automatically, because you signed this document, assigned to us. And this document that I've highlighted here actually goes for about nine or 10 pages. Again, I only brought up the first two pages. I don't want to waste your time talking about other things. I mainly wanted to highlight for you that this is actually a worthwhile conversation. I don't necessarily agree with dismissing it out of hand for judgment, what Electronic Arts is doing, because it is the much broader way of having these intellectual property assignments, and it does suffer from enforceability questions in various jurisdictions. So I think it's a worthwhile conversation, but I also think it's educational and informative to note that some version of this, absolutely 100%, is part of every employment package 
with a tech-facing company. This redacted document that I am reading to you from was for a software developer in the health sciences space. So uh, serious software, uh, but certainly software nonetheless. And they were focused on these things to make sure that when they go and they seek that funding, that they have to tell somebody when they get that funding, yes, you own all the intellectual property that you need to run your business. A document like this needs to be in place because the people are the ones inventing. Companies are legal fictions, right? And so you have to have this relationship with an employee that says, when you make something, it's ours. We paid you money for you to make that. And that needs to be ours so that we can tell the people that want to fund us, want to buy us, want to contract with us, whatever it might be, that we have all that intellectual property necessary to either convey to them or to prove that we are a good, well-functioning company. And that's been Virtual Legality for today. If you like having these conversations, we talk about these kinds of things in business and law and video games and the intersections thereof all the time. Please like, please subscribe, please tell your friends, share it around with whoever might be interested. If you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you caught it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.